When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This episode of Motherfuck Lore is brought to you by the show's generous supporters and Patreon. Your support has made it possible for us to keep this show going during quarantine. And this very week, it allowed us to put out a video episode about sign language with sign language interpretation and closed captions to make it as accessible as possible. Thank you very much for doing that. Here's the show. of Podcast Network. Welcome to Motherfuck Lore, a podcast of words, Irish, Irish words and words of Ireland. I'm Derek O'Shea. I'm always interested to see how other minority languages survive, thrive, do well, do their things in compared to how Irish is doing. And I was especially fascinated recently. We talk about Duolingo a fair bit in this podcast. And recently, the 40th language to be added to Duolingo is Yiddish. And when I was looking into this, I found something just wonderful that the, there was a, a brother-sister team in, in America have been involved not only in the, in, in the preparation of the Yiddish course on Duolingo, but also the, the translation of Harry Potter into Yiddish was, was, it all happened within the same family. I had to find out more. So I'm delighted today to talk to both of them, Aaron and Mina. Fuck, oh, sorry, I should have asked you. I should have clarified to pronounce how you pronounce your name. Oh, our last name? Yeah. You can pronounce it however you want. We usually pronounce it by taking the H at the end and putting it after the S. So Vishwanath. Arun and Mina Vishwanath. Is that correct? Yep. Is it? Go on. You, you can be honest. Yeah. yeah, yeah you, you have to take away the H at the end. So, oh, Vishwanath. Uh, but accent on the first syllable. Vishwanath. 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 Yeah. Vishwanath. Oh, Vishwanath. Okay. That's fine. Okay. Arun like an and Mina Vishwanath. Thank you very much for joining me today. Thank you so much. Thanks for having us. Just to clarify, yeah, Mina, you have done the, you've been involved in the Duolingo project, and Aaron, you have translated Harry Potter. Yes, Great. that's right. And we uh, we've both been working with our uh, our little sister Malika, who's been uh, she was uh, one of my uh, editors slash proofreaders, and uh, and she helped Mina she, she helped with the Duolingo course as well, right? Yeah, she helped proofread the sentences for us as well. Master oh, proofreader. Fantastic! This is this is a great family tradition for yourselves, and and. <laughs> So there's, there's, the, yeah, there's a family, you have a family tradition of uh, promoting Yiddish, am I right? Yes, um, it, it goes back a number of generations. Um, in in, in um, our mother's generation, um, our mother uh, published uh, an English-Yiddish dictionary recently and is also a Yiddish poet. Our aunt mm-hmm. is editor of the Yiddish Forward. Um, and um, our, uh, their other siblings also have, have roles in the Yiddish world um, as Yiddish teachers and, and conductors of, con- conductor of a Yiddish choir. Um, go back a generation. Our grandfather was a professor of Yiddish um, at Columbia University, a- among other universities, and um, uh, wrote his Ph.D. after World War II in Vienna on uh, declension of Yiddish verbs, if I'm not mistaken. 
<laughs> and then even going back a generation before that, um, his father, our great-grandfather, um, attended the Yiddish conference in Chernovitz in 1918. Is that right, Aaron? Uh I thought it was 1908. But 1908, not, for, I'm sorry, you're right, 1908. Not just attended, he walked there, he walked miles, barefoot. Uphill both ways. <laughs> I think he did walk there, and I think it was a number of miles. That, that, is, that is the story I've heard as well. So um, our family has been very devoted to Yiddish, and one might think, you know, our great-grandfather, well, that was, that was back in Europe, so everybody was speaking Yiddish, but in fact, um, in Chernovitz and in that area, it actually wasn't cool to speak Yiddish. Um, everybody was really moving over to German, everybody who was at all cultured, uh, but our great-grandfather um, insisted uh, on, on maintaining to speak Yiddish, yeah. Absolutely. So no pressure on your own kids then. Yeah, no. <laughs> <laughs> my, my, my kids do speak Yiddish. Fantastic. So, so let's not start. I mean, so um, I mean, I was listening to an interview with you on the Tikva podcast, and you were talking about the um, how well the, the the Yiddish module in Duolingo is going. And as the episode is going on, you were giving updates and how many new, new thousands of people have had signed up for it. That's it's it's been wonderfully successful. Uh, it has. We are up to two hundred and ten thousand users now, and uh, there has been amazing feedback um, on on. Social media, Facebook, Twitter, the Duolingo forums, a lot of response. That's fantastic. And why do you think that is? Why do you think there's been such a huge engagement? Um, well, the, the course has been in development for five years, so I think that definitely helped uh, build the buzz because people have been waiting for a long time. But um, mostly, um, I, I imagine a large portion of those 210,000 active learners are American Jews who have... Um, historically an, a very nostalgic relationship with Yiddish. Um, they, it, Yiddish would have usually fallen out of their family one, two, three generations ago um, as uh, the, their families immigrated to the United States and, and tried to um, uh, assimilate, fit in, um, integrate. Um, and many of those families made, made the decision to um, adopt English or leave Yiddish behind um, in order to to integrate, and so um, now a lot of young American Jews, um, and and I think that this phenomenon is not unique to America, um, but uh, probably the biggest population of these young Jews is in America. So these young Ashkenazi Jews um, are are feeling the lack, uh, feeling the loss, um, and and most of them are 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 nostalgic enough, interested enough to at least pick up a free gamified app and see what all the buzz is about. You know, not all of those 210,000 learners are necessarily going to be um, nostalgic enough to sit down and, and, and work through a grammar textbook or, or, t- or take a, 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 a proper Yiddish course or, um, or speak Yiddish in their family to their kids. But um, certainly the interest uh, in just experiencing what is all this Yiddish you know, this language that my grandparents spoke is, and Duolingo just makes it so easy to pick it up. I think you're right there. I, mean, I think with, with nostalgia of the language, this is something that, that's experienced with Irish as well. Um, people are, are interested to hear that words that have an interesting translation, like a, like an escalator being translating literally in Irish as a, as a living stairs or something like that. And uh, for us in Yiddish, escalator is rolling stairs. 
or, oh. or folding stairs. Yeah. And that's, 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 and that's a visual. And the, um, the word in Irish for a jellyfish is smuggler rome, which means a seal snot. <laughs> and, and people that's love awesome. that. That's but awesome. then we say, okay, now now look at the past tense of these five verbs. And like, oh, yeah, yeah, I see ya. <laughs> <laughs> and obviously that, that, that seems to be the problem that people, nostalgia can only take you so far. And when, when, when we were talking with, we were um, discussing this episode um, on, 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 in the group chat before we started recording, something that was very interesting, that struck me as very interesting, is this, this idea, um, you, you, you both alerted me to something I'd never considered, but it makes so much sense now you've said it, uh, that the idea of um, Yiddish's kind of, uh, the fact that some people only know Yiddish from certain loan words in maybe New York slang it has been maybe to the detriment of the actual language, a language where um, one of the, a language which has had a Nobel Prize winning writers for using it, um, a huge literary tradition, um, isolating it down to some funny words for, for annoying people has been very much to the detriment. I mean, it, it's honestly very, it's very complicated uh, the the situation of Yiddish as a minority language is very complicated in a number of ways. Um, one, because the the mode of loss um, is not the, the mode and the extent of loss has really not been uniform. So for some people, that loss was uh, I mean maybe some people will call this in, involuntary, but um, voluntary in an attempt to assimilate. Uh, some was uh, you know quite traumatically um, as a result of. The Holocaust, um, or you know, other um, other traumatic uprootings that happened during World War II, um, a lot of uh, people had trouble um, maintaining their language in the various countries that they immigrated to, including Israel. Um, and so, what what we end up with is a couple of generations later, a big portion of, of Jews of Eastern European descent uh, who have this deep, deep ambivalence. Uh, towards Yiddish. Um, and that ambivalence, in my opinion, uh, comes out of a deep sense of loss, uh, mm-hmm. perhaps subconsciously. And so uh, I, I really struggle with, uh, you know, is it, it sounds like you feel um, very comfortable, Darach, um leading off with these fun words. Um, for me, as a Yiddish speaker, I try to distance myself as much as possible because mm-hmm. it's sort of like, yeah, that's the, you know, that's, that's not, oftentimes those words aren't even Yiddish. Um, yeah. And so, uh, you know, we try to basically say like, that's kind of like Yinglish, that's like Yiddish light, that's not really Yiddish. Um, if you're really interested in Yiddish, uh, you know, take a course, um, get, get acquainted with, uh, with our deep literature. And of course, mm-hmm. what makes it even more complicated is that there continues to be a community of organic uh, speakers um, of, of Hasidic Jews who continue to speak Yiddish today uh, yeah. alongside the Yiddishists who do it for ideological reasons. So it's super complicated um, alongside a population that's largely apathetic. Well, oh, I, will, sure. I will say that the flip side, you know, ambivalence um, has, has two sides, right? So the, the, <laughs> the, the flip side is that um, all these articles about, you know, your favorite word in Yiddish and all the jokes and the, and the phrases your grandmother said that you passed down, it, 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 it helps maintain the interest. You know, if there, mm-hmm. if there weren't all these articles and, and, and listicles every, every year or so, like, yeah, what's true. your favorite word? You know, Yiddish would have faded from the Jewish American landscape a lot earlier. 
So mm. although the Yiddish that people think they know is is just little bits and pieces mixed in with just kind of Jewish English, or you know, or, yeah. or Yinglish as Erin called it. Um, at the same time, those little bits and pieces are the connection, the spark that that could be relit. You know, and if that wasn't there, we wouldn't have two hundred ten thousand users on Duolingo. That's a good point. <laughs> Definitely, that's a, that's it's it's a, it's a it's a tricky balance to strike. I can see that because there's, there's both both arguments make so much sense. So when I um, if I was going to use look up Irish on Duolingo, there's a little Irish flag there, and then you see then when I understand when non-English speakers are looking for English, there's an American flag. Which um, raises all sorts of questions, and then I, for the, and I think with Spanish, there's a Spanish flag uh, when you're learning Spanish. Even though I think the Spanish used is actually um, Central American Spanish, right? Which and and then so that this raises an issue about what flag or or symbol even should be used for for learning Yiddish. Yeah, I mean, as you point out, Yiddish isn't the first one to have you know, have to make controversial decisions about about the Duolingo course. But the, the flag certainly was a, a difficult decision, um, partially because a flag is such a representative of national identity. Mm-hmm. And uh, Yiddish, Yiddish speakers don't have a national identity in the same way. You know, they're they're bound by by religion and culture, but not necessarily nationality. Um, you know, yeah. you have Yiddish speakers from from all different con- countries around the world, so it's very much a an international, transnational language. So, what does it mean to make to make a flag um, for that kind of language? Um, and of course, um, another thing is that um, maybe 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 a hundred hundred fifty years ago, the experience of a Yiddish speaker would have been more uniform. But now, as Arun said, we're living in a world where some Yiddish speakers, you know, speak Yiddish like we do because, uh, you know, because our family just never stopped. Some some Yiddish speakers speak it because they're Yiddishist and they're, the chain was broken in their family, but they actively learned it and brought it back in the, in their tradition. Um, and then there's this Hasidic Yiddish world um, and, and also some ultra-Orthodox non-Hasidim who speak Yiddish because... Um, uh, partly as a means of separating themselves from the world. There's just so many different um, types of Yiddish speakers. And to find one flag that is meaningful to all of them, but also is not too overly broad. Essentially, you know, it, it's, it's, Yiddish is, is a Jewish language, but it's only one of many Jewish languages. It happens to be the one that's most in the popular consciousness besides Hebrew, but, but certainly, you know, Duolingo might someday make a Ladino course or some other courses of Jewish languages. So we didn't just want to put a generically Jewish symbol on there, though yeah. that would speak to all Jewish, uh, all Yiddish speakers, but it would, it, it would be too broad. So we, you know, we set ourselves some pretty tight parameters there. <laughs> to find a symbol, um, we 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 went through a, a process that involved opening up the question to the public, uh, uh, putting out a. I know it was. Uh, it was a, it was a real shit show. It, you, know, you know, you know. I have to say, it was it was a little bit of a shit show. But sorry, people, I, I didn't mean shit show. You handled it very well. I meant shit storm. <laughs> yes. Um, the difference is significant. 
Yes. <laughs> um, I, I would say it was a little bit of both, but um, I, I think that it did generate, um, first of all, attention for the course, but also a very interesting conversation among people on social media. And we got a lot of really interesting suggestions. Um, so we, we got some very, very bad suggestions, like just put a bagel on it or... Um, <laughs> Throw that it, in the English pile. Yeah, put a, put a yellow star on it. That was just a no-no. <laughs> I have to say I got that suggestion from more than one person. Um, oh, my God. I know. Um, if someone, if, like, obviously there's, there's two... There's, there are two um, um, political states where Irish is spoken. There's, our, there's Republic of Ireland and Northern Ireland. And someone said to, to, to find a neutral um, position, use a potato or a pint of Guinness or something, <laughs> you'd say, no thanks. Right. It, I mean, it's it's a sign of, of the relationship that people have to Yiddish, that mm. they don't really often respect it as a language and, and as a culture other than you know, as a, as a, as humor and so forth. So, um, we, w what, what we ended up settling on, um, was, uh, the letter Kometz Aleph. And so Aleph is the first letter of, of both the Hebrew and the Yiddish alphabet. The Yiddish uses a modified form of the Hebrew alphabet. Um, and, uh, of course, choosing the first letter of the alphabet is, is kind of signifies, uh, learning and and study, which which is of course appropriate for Duolingo, um, but uh, adding the 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 comets is a, is a diacritic that goes underneath the aleph, um, and it makes the it, it turns it into a vowel that has a sound o or u depending on your dialect, um, and that combination as a vowel is not used as far as I know in any other. Um, Jewish language, though though most Jewish languages use a modified form of, of the of the Hebrew alphabet, but no language has modified it in exactly the way that Yiddish did. So um, we felt that Kometz Aleph uh, as a as a symbol was was unique to Yiddish, um, and as well there is a there is a famous Yiddish song. I, I, I think it's it's probably one of the most famous Yiddish songs. It's called Afn Pripechik or Oifn Pripechik. Doesn't it show up in Schindler's List? Um, exactly. It's in the soundtrack yeah, of Schindler's List. So most people, even if they don't know the song, will recognize kind of the, the violin strains when they hear it. Um, oh, and yes. uh, so um, in in that song, the, the song essentially is a scene of a, of a teacher, a Rebbe, sitting with his young students, probably four, five, six years old. Um, they're sitting by the fireplace. Um, and uh, he is teaching them um, the, the alphabet and the way the alphabet is taught um, in traditional schools. You'd say pasach aleph a, kumitz aleph o, and you know just kind of say the name of the letter and then sound it out and and um, build that that muscle memory. Um, and so in the song, he's teaching them kumitz aleph o, um, and so it's just a very um, evocative phrase for those who know the song um, and and the song of course because it's 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 a Yiddish song it can't just be about kids and teacher it's a metaphor for the Jewish experience and he's telling them how you know these letters hold within them the entirety of Jewish tradition and experience and so forth so we just felt it was and, it was and Jewish the, tears and Jewish know, tears a, of course but optimism in there Jewish suffering <laughs> <laughs> so um so that that's what we settled on, and surprisingly enough, no one is strongly against it. Many people are like, "Eh, that's okay, you know, cool," but, <laughs> but like, you know, so, that's so the best much, I could ask for. 
so much thought went into that compared to just sticking a flag on. It's like they, the amount of thought there and, and the fact that the letter had this like diacritic that maybe not everyone would appreciate and the, the, the significance of the song and everything. That's, people should appreciate that more. Hopefully, yes, well, hopefully they will after you listen to us today. And you I, I, had, I had to make a defensible decision, you know, because I knew whatever decision we made, people would come after us. So at least this way I have a good story. Oh, yeah. God, <laughs> no, it's, it's, uh, and you mentioned a word there, which always brings up a, brings up a smile to my face, dialect. I mean, I'm sure everyone just accepted it. Yeah, just, just pick whatever dialect you like. No one's going to no object to that, right? <laughs> yeah, no, that was probably even more controversial than the flag question. So there's obviously there's there are multiple dialects of Yiddish and with different levels of I guess um, prestige or access or cachet. And same way that when we when the in the Irish course in Duolingo, there's um there's significant differences between Donegal Irish, Munster Irish, and, and Connacht Irish. And somebody just had to pick one and run with it. Do you similar dilemmas were faced? Yes, very much so. Um, Yiddish, Yiddish has, a, I would say, that the Yiddish that we speak nowadays, which is generally Eastern Yiddish, has three main sub-dialects, um, Northeastern, Central, and Southeastern. And um, those, are all, those, those descriptions are all representative of, of where, where everyone lived in Europe. Now, of course, most, of, most Yiddish speakers don't live in Eastern Europe anymore, so that adds another layer of complexity on top of it. But um, there are certainly cultural, um, cultural meaning attached to these various dialects, the Northeastern dialect being the more um, perhaps educated and humorless and dry uh, dialect, the, uh, the Central dialect stereotypically being what, what we in America might consider a Southern dialect, a little bit more of a drawl, a lot of diphthongs, and maybe associated with a little bit more lower class. And then um, the Southeastern dialect used in theater. Isn't it extraordinary that every, it seems every country in the world has this division between kind of uh, humorless Northerners and laid-back <laughs> Southerners. And it even happens in landlocked countries when uh, the North of one country is a border of the South of one country suddenly... It's it, it just it still trans, transcribes. I mean, like it's right. like if you, if you think that yes, yeah, that a, a North Italian is practically a Southern Swiss person, but they're, <laughs> uh, they're, they, the, the Northerness and Southerness still kick through. Yes, yeah. Um, so, so on top of that, we have layered the fact that none, none very few of us live in Eastern Europe anymore, and so mm. each of these dialects has also attained certain cultural contexts in the modern world. So um, Lithu- the, the northern Lithuanian Yiddish is often still associated with the university and, and educated uh, folk, um, partially because there is a standardized form of a standardized dialect of Yiddish, which was standardized for use um, a, a, as a kind of trans dialect, you know, uh, across dialects um, and, and also at, to, be, to be taught, used in education. Um, and that one is is uh, at least it sounds closest to the northern dialect. So that's the one that's taught in most universities and and courses nowadays. And contrasted with the the central dialect, uh, which um, you know in Europe had this um, had this uh, association with being uh, lower class in in the United States, um, that's the dialect that is um, spoken most by the by the Hasidim, the ultra orthodox who. Um, also they, they are kind of closed off and, and don't interact and, and, um, certainly could be stereotyped, uh, in, in various different ways, um, by outsiders. Um, and so, 
choosing that dialect uh, it was was a statement. So the the and then there's the southeastern dialect, which is actually what Arun and I speak. <laughs> um, <laughs> but the arguments for and against are very much boiled down to the Yiddishist community versus the Hasidic community for the most part. Um, I mean, broadly speaking, um, the the northern dialect was pushed by the Yiddishists and by those who are in um, in the universities and, and and Yiddish educators because it is the one taught in universities. So Duolingo would would then become um, a tool that could be used in in classes and universities um, without much adaptation. Um, and as well, pedagogically, it's the most it, it's the most consistently pronounced with respect to the spelling. Uh, yes. Um, however, the Hasidic Yiddish, which is mostly draws from um, Central Yiddish, Polish and Hungarian Yiddish, um, is probably the one most spoken by native Yiddish speakers nowadays, um, mostly because the Hasidim are so... Um, they, they close out the outside world, so they still have lots of native speakers, even monolingual speakers, and um, they, their families are quite large. They have 8, 10, 12 children per family, so they're, they're certainly the fastest-growing dialect. And so to choose that was uh, to make a claim about the vitality and the living nature of Yiddish, that we're, you know, we're choosing the dialect that is that is most in active use regardless of what's taught in the university. So it's kind of the, 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 the ivory tower versus, versus the streets discussion. And, and a big factor in our discussion as well was that um, most of the team, so, so that there, were, um, there were a number of other team members, and almost all of them came from the Hasidic world and were native speakers of this Hasidic dialect. So, yeah. So, um, speaking obviously the, the I guess the university tradition, the literary tradition in Yiddish, this kind of brings us to the bridge a little bit. Um, Isaac Bashevis, a singer, am I pronouncing Bashevis right? Yep. Yes, close enough. I <laughs> go well. Thank you. He um, obviously won a Nobel Prize for literature and gave his four works in written in Yiddish and gave a speech in Yiddish and in which he remarked, and I believe this is a hotly contested statement that there are no words for weapons in the language. And I, I think I brought this up in the group chat. You're like, no, wrong, so wrong. Could, if any, could we, if he was any wrong, he stuck it and right. I mean, you know, Mina was talking about a statements of vitality, but it's certainly a statement about the statelessness of Yiddish. Um, you know, the fact that uh, certainly uh, throughout most of the time the Jews were in Eastern Europe, uh, Yiddish was was uh, by no means a state-funded language. Um, yeah. And so I guess you could make the argument that because Jewish society uh, itself didn't have, uh, you know, weaponry and it wasn't a part of their daily landscape, uh, they were, you know, you, you could argue that there is no native word in Yiddish. But, you know, of course, at some point they, they borrowed words for this because Jews, like everybody else, were, uh, were pressed into the army service um, mm. under the Russian czar. And uh, there were many, many, many Yiddish-speaking people uh, who were who were using weapons, uh, often not by their own volition, but they certainly had mm. words for them. Um, so yeah, I, I'm curious what what you think he was getting at with that. I thought I thought it was interesting because it's, it's I guess it sounds very. Um, I mean, it, it, this, he was saying this in the, in the mid 70s, and maybe it, it, was, it was it was it felt quite groovy and right on to say yeah, my language is really you know is, is, <laughs> is inherently peaceful and loving because it doesn't have these bad words for mean things. 
Right. Y- Yiddish and was always a language of the oppressed, uh, mm. never of the oppressor. That's uh, another another trope that I've heard. But isn't it interesting because then you think that at one point, once once a loan word is in there, it's in there. Right. And, I mean, how how long does a how long does a loan word have to be in a language before you know it's it's fully accepted and it's. Uh, I know that people like say things like that. The word "crack." We talk about having good crack in Irish, and people say, "Well, crack technically came from you know, like um, from like English or from Scottish, and it was just used differently." But then we think, well, at some point, you gotta say, "Yes, it's uh, it's been in our language as long as we've been using text as a verb." So you know, right. the Jews oh, have a long memory. <laughs> but but even more so in Yiddish because Yiddish is is a language that was formed out of other languages. It's a um, I think it's called a schmelzsprach. It just kind of every you take little bits of lots of languages and just meld them all together. Um, and so Yiddish has a very strong tradition of of borrowing words um, from from wherever people lived um, for whatever they wanted to express. Um, in fact, what, one of the biggest uh, vocabulary differences between the different dialects are for for food, food and 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 the natural world, because they would they would use whatever words were being used around them and in, incorporate that word into their Yiddish. So, um, I mean, absolutely. If if, if you asked me today, um, I could tell you several words for various weapons, and I would not be able to tell you what the source language is, which to mm. me says that means they're Yiddish. <laughs> Fair enough. I think yeah. If you don't know the source language, that's that 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 yeah. That, that makes sense. They 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 belong to the English then. So um, from weapons to wands and broomsticks and <laughs> and so forth. The, Harry Potter has been translated to so many languages. And and Aaron, you were the, you you translated the Harry Potter. The, 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 it was how, how many of the have, have you translated to you just so far? So far, just the Philosopher's Stone. Uh, mm-hmm. The second one is in. in the, I, I'm in the middle of it, but uh, a baby is stopping me from finishing it. So uh, slowly. But they're terrible like that. <laughs> so needy. Oh God, yeah. I'm trying to trying to try on my third book, and I've got uh, these two children demanding you know to be fed and washed and unbelievable. You know, and, and attention paid, but what can you do? But it's, I was, um, I was just looking there at uh, some interviews you've done in respect of uh, translating Harry Potter into Yiddish and the amount of factors taken on board. I thought it, um, again, dialect is something that's always interesting, I suppose as one maybe jumping off point, the idea, let's say, um, how, first of all, I suppose, uh, Actually, you know, before we get into dialect and Hagrid speaking up, up with a like a Polish um, variation instead of an, a West England kind of variant, the we when 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 Harry Potter was translated into Irish, certain words were kept in in English for for various reasons because they were thinking it was a lot of people who were going to be reading it were going to be people who spoke English as a first language, learning Irish or had school Irish, and having certain English words there for Ravenclaw or Quidditch might help people along and as, as little signifiers keeping people marching along. But um, you, 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 you did translate some of those terms. Yeah. Um, I, I generally was trying to avoid uh, creating uh, fan fiction. And so yeah. I, I wanted to recreate the experience that I know I myself had reading Harry Potter in English Um and I think there may be, um, it, to the extent that uh, in the Irish translation, certain terms were kept to, to keep it a little bit easier for the reader. 
Um, fortunately for Yiddish, being a Germanic language and being so similar to English, um, you know, for an American Jew um, who knows some Hebrew, Yiddish is probably the easiest language for them to learn. Um, yeah. And so while I do think that Harry Potter is actually an amazing pedagogical tool uh, for, <laughs> for those who are interested in Yiddish and uh, who are interested in something that's not necessarily a beginner's text, but that they might know by heart because they've read it so many times. Um, I, I did feel like I had to translate some terms that mm. just seemed like they were begging to be done um, or that couldn't really be done in, in Yiddish because um, of the, or c- couldn't be done with the original because of the sound symbolism or the pun that existed in the original. I loved how you resolved the translation of Quidditch itself. You found a, a proverb, I suppose, in respect of uh, when, when, um, uh, when God finds a way the broom flies. Yeah, people were uh, a little bit upset uh, that I didn't just call it Quidditch because, uh, mm-hmm. I don't know, it, to, to your, you could probably imagine how some people be like, oh, that, that sounds like a good Yiddish word, Quidditch, Quidditch. Mm-hmm. Um, it almost rhymes with Yiddish. Um, and the truth is I didn't really have to translate it, uh, but I was walking and I, I was like, I, I feel like there's something that has to do with brooms in Yiddish. It sounds familiar. Um, and then I remembered it was one of the first um, books of Yiddish poetry that I had read. Um, and it was basically a stanza describing something one miraculous that could happen. Um, and as you say, the phrase in, in Yiddish was, as God wills, she's the If God wills it, uh, even a broom can shoot or perhaps um, can, can uh, sprout. And so... Um, Look at that, a word for a weapon in Yiddish. Yeah, there you go. There you go. And so it seemed perfect uh, for a, a sport where, uh, you know, you fly around on brooms and try to shoot things into hoops. So I just took uh, the parts of the of the aphorism that meant shoot and broom and put them together. And so for uh, Quidditch, we got shisbazim, shoot broom. Fantastic. What did you call the houses? Oh, yeah, that was fun. Um, mm-hmm. Well, Hufflepuff stayed the same. Uh, that one, I agree. That's just a perfect Yiddish word. Um, <laughs> Ravenclaw was pretty straightforward. I just took the word for raven and the word for claw. Um, and so we got Robbenkrell. Um, for Gryffindor, mm-hmm. um, I I knew that the etymology, because there's these uh, there's these wikis online where you can see all the other ways that other languages solve this. And I tried not to lean on them too much. Um, but I immediately realized that Gryffindor was from the French, uh, or seems to be from the French, Griffin de Or of gold, so a griffin of gold. And so I just inverted it and in Yiddish um, got golden griff. Uh, but then when it came to Slytherin, there wasn't really any good solution where I could kind of just move things around um, and rehash it because the word Slither itself, uh, of course, is an English word and the pun is on the snake being the motto for um, the mascot for Slytherin House. Um, and also because the ev sound v doesn't exist in Yiddish. Um, and it's it's a phonetic alphabet, um, not written in the English alphabet. So uh, I, I couldn't well just go and reproduce the TH. Um, and I didn't want to do Slytherin because, ugh, I don't know. Uh, mm. that, that, that would be uh, too lazy. Um, so I thought... Uh, how can we, how can we preserve the shape of the word, um, and also maintain the symbolism to the snake? And then it hit me that um, the word in Yiddish for venom is sam, 
and the word for inside or or therein is didin. And so uh, we got samdirin, which kind of sounds like Slytherin and literally means uh, venom therein or there, there is poison inside. So it seemed seemed appropriate uh, reference to the basilisk. Fantastic. That's, and and, and the, the book has got, it received uh, positive feedback in the public, on the translation so far. Uh, it was pretty cool. Um, I, I mean, I, I, I didn't have my hopes set too high. Uh, because, you know, it's a Yiddish book and it's my translation, so I don't want to be disappointed. Um, but of course, also it's Harry Potter, right? So yeah. you have people who are buying every single translation of Harry Potter that's out there, just uh, plain yeah. old collectors. Um, then um, you have native Yiddish speakers, even people within the Hasidic community uh, who are not uh, quite as... Um, who are not quite as insular as we might think and whose fringes are, are much more porous than we would expect um, who, who, are, um, who are buying this book. Um, many of whose kids had maybe even read the book in English, um, yeah. which is uh, really quite amazing. And so um, there, were, there were those people who were buying the book. And of course, most Yiddishists, I think, had to get a copy. Um, but then mm. you had this broad swath of Jews of Eastern European descent um, who seemed to have just bought the book to have it on their shelves. The nostalgia um, factor again. Yeah, which I mean, I I think that's amazing. Uh, you know what's you know what they say. What what's on your b- bookshelf says a lot about you, and the fact that people bought it to have it on their bookshelf, even if they have absolutely zero intent of ever reading it. Um, so to me, is it's, the, it's the downstairs bookshelf, not the upstairs bookshelf. Then yeah. Ah, uh, they didn't tell me which one. Okay, I'll have to go and do an audit. <laughs> mm-hmm. I think they say the, the, the downstairs bookshelf is the one you want kind of visitors of the house to see, and the stairs ones the ones you're actually reading in bed. <laughs> That's fantastic. <laughs> and yeah, it's just I, like so. I remember when um, in when I was I remember when when The Simpsons is translated into German. There's a German character called Uder, and he becomes Swiss in the German translation. And when The Simpsons is translated into Italian, the kind of the mobsters become Sicilians instead of just speaking kind of standard Italian and. I was wondering how, how how dialects played a factor in the fact in when you're translating a book like Harry Potter into into Yiddish when certain characters have Scottish accents or West Country accents or these are are familiar from the films as well as from the dialect itself. Yeah, um, it was it, it was kind of like the perfect uh, confluence of factors. The fact that Yiddish itself is known to have a number of dialects and everybody's always clamoring, uh, you know, for their dialect to be recognized. Um, and the fact that the original clearly had at least one person clearly speaking dialect, right? Haggard is speaking some sort of West Country accent, um, which is apparent from all of the apostrophes. Um, and Mina already introduced us to some of these caricatures uh, that are mapped onto uh, onto the dialects, uh, where you have the northern type, who's well, well. I guess we'll start with the uh, with the Polish or this or the central type, who is um, maybe lower class. Um, maybe a little bit more, uh, has a sense of humor, um, is uh, really quite easy to get along with. And so I thought, okay, well, that's that's perfect for Haggard. Let's just have him speaking uh, a central accent. And, and they, if, also, they also drop their consonants and have very right, they also vowels. drop their consonants. So it was perfect because I was able to like reproduce all the apostrophes. Um, and if we had a, a person speaking the central dialect, well, then uh, they need somebody uh, in opposition to them so who's uh, Hagrid's uh, sworn enemy? Well, there's there's a couple of people he doesn't like, uh, but of course Filch um, is yeah. one. And so I had him speaking like a very, very like backwater um, northern dialect, which um, isn't much spoken today. And then I also had Snape 
and uh, Professor McGonagall speaking uh, somewhat more refined versions of the Northern dialect. Um, and so it was a really great opportunity also for students, you know, we're talking about pedag pedagogical uh, possibilities. It was a great way to get um, students acquainted with the various dialects uh, so that, you know, people might complain, oh, well, you use the, the academic orthography. Um, but, you know, I, I, I did try to reflect the variety of Yiddish that exists, although you can't really please everybody. You certainly can't, and trying always ends in tears. <laughs> I, I, I always say I, I feel good about the dialect that Duolingo uh, suggested, uh, picked, because we have people complaining from all sides. If we only had complaints mm. from one side, we clearly didn't come to a good compromise. <laughs> exactly. That's, um, that's fantastic. So, I mean, and what, 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 so what do you both have next after, I mean, um, these, these have been two very successful projects. What's the next plan for um, promotion of Yiddish is more, more translating more books? Um, yeah, I, I want to do the, I, I'm, I want to do, I have already finished half of the second book. Um, so that should be exciting. You know, we'll get to reveal what the Yiddish anagram of I am Lord Voldemort is. Mm -hmm. Um, and, uh, I hope that we'll be able to do an audiobook. to me, the, aside from just selfishly, you know, wanting to, to do this because I, I, I love it. Um, I really think the pedagogical possibilities are amazing. Um, mm -hmm. and having an audiobook that people can can just listen to, especially because there's many people who did hear Yiddish in their youth, um, but they never learned the Hebrew alphabet, um, and so uh, and and they're not about to go learn it, you know, at, at age sixty um, or seventy. And so for them to have an audiobook um, would be amazing. So I, I did I did record the first chapter, and it's on YouTube, um, where people can hear like Hagrid and, and McGonagall and and Dumbledore all doing their thing. But I do hope that we'll have a professionally made audiobook with a professional voice actor uh, at some point. Dumbledore and the Professor McGonagall have sich angebeugen über den Peckel Koldriklach. Before we wrap up, there was um, one tell me about uh, was it about Sean Ferguson. <laughs> Should we tell the joke? Please. <laughs> Mina, do you want to tell this? Uh, sure. So um, a, a guy is, is coming over fr from Europe. Um, he's, he's on a boat to, to New York. And uh, his, his name is, is uh, let's say, Moshe, Moshe Cohen. And, and he's just a very Jewish name. And he knows when he comes to the New World, he doesn't want to have a Jewish name anymore. He wants to, you know, integrate, become American. And so uh, his brother, who's already made it to New York before him, writes him a letter and tells him, okay, when you get to Ellis Island, you need to tell the guy that your name is Michael Smith. Michael Smith. So, uh, so he's on the boat and he's telling himself, Michael Smith, Michael Smith, I have to remember, Michael Smith. He's just repeating it to himself over and over and over again. Finally, he sees the Statue of Liberty, he arrives in Ellis Island, he comes to the clerk who's, who's going to write down all of his information and the clerk says, all right, name? And he gets, he gets so flustered, he, he forgets. He says, hey, schoen vergessen, I've already forgotten. <laughs> so the clerk writes down, Sean Ferguson. <laughs> That's fantastic. So basically, if there are people, listeners out there called Sean Ferguson, your, your name is I've forgotten. 
Mina and Aaron, thank you so much for um, for um, taking taking the time to chat to me today. It's been absolutely fascinating. I think we probably could talk for another hour or so, but at some point, people need to go to sleep and go to bed. And I appreciate your giving me your time so much, and I wish you both so much luck and success with the next stage of your projects. Mina, you are smart enough to stay off social media. Am I right? But where, where, where? Uh, no, I I am, I am on Facebook. Um, I'm okay. not very. I'm, I don't have a Twitter account, but I'm 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 uh, I am on Facebook. Yes. Good stuff. But where can people find out more about your work? Uh, I think the best way is to go to Duolingo.com and uh, sign up for the Yiddish course. I'd love to have you be a learner two hundred ten thousand and one. Fantastic, Aaron. Where can people find out more about your work? Uh, yeah, Twitter is probably the best place. <laughs> uh, I yes, I field a lot of incoming complaints for Duolingo. People want me to <laughs> want me to pass it along to my sister, and I say uh, no, that's that's not what I do. Mm-hmm. I'll argue with you though if you want. Um, my handle is um, a underscore a underscore uh, my last name, uh, which is v i s w a n a t h a underscore a underscore Vishwanath. I'll put a link to that in the show notes. Oh, awesome! Thank you so much again. And so until the next time, Slanga Fall. We hope you enjoyed today's episode of Motherfuck Lore. We come out every Friday in the Headstuff Podcast Network. Having said that, we will be finishing the season next week with an episode, a Bialtana special episode about fatal deviation and its unique place in Irish culture. Thank you very much for Brian, to Brian for doing the production. Thank you to Kirsten Shield for doing the artwork. Thank you to the backroom team at Headstuff for everything they do. If you're looking for more shows, Headstuff have a wide range of entertaining shows and informative shows. One of my favourites is The Wonderful World of Wikipedia, which is just back for its second season right now. If you wish to contact the show, you can do so using the WhatsApp number in our show notes. We'd love to get some voice notes from you. You can support Motherfucker on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash Tarak. Even though we're closing up a shop for the summer on the main feed, we will be still releasing new episodes, hopefully every fortnight throughout the summer, which will be Patreon only. So if you'd like to keep the, the fire lit, that's how you do it. In the meantime, stay safe, mind yourselves, and much love. This has been a production of the Headstuff Podcast Network. I'm I'm calling it for Sweden. I'm calling this is Max Martin's contribution to the English language. <laughs> <laughs> okay. That's right. Me.